Hello and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast for December 2013. I'm your host, Carlos. With me is your host, Ben. And rejoining us today is JJ. Hey, everybody. Howdy, howdy. Hello. How's everything going? Pretty good. Can't complain too much here. We're frantically preparing for our trip to Australia. So uh, everything is uh, going, I would say, for the most part according to plan. Excellent. Excellent. So, so the baby's making his first international trip, huh? The baby is making his first international trip. He's also had his first babysitting uh, adventure with someone outside the family. Oh, wow. Was uh, that JJ's wife, Mel, took care of him uh, today, actually. Uh, okay. And did he come back with all his fingers and toes? I know Beck probably counted them a dozen times. Uh, then, then it was a success. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's my point. Awesome. So, uh, JJ, I don't know. I don't even know. Have you had a chance to listen to our last episode? I have not yet, uh, so sorry about that's, that. Well, that's okay. I was going to see if you uh, had anything that you wanted to add, but when you listen to it, you can let us know if there's anything you wanted to mention uh, and bring up about the stuff that we talked about. Uh, so I know we didn't get through our list uh, last time of the things we wanted to talk about. Uh, we were in the middle of RPGs, I think, right? Um, I think RPGs. Did we stop with the Pathfinder Adventure card game, or did we, we go... I think we did, yeah. Okay, so do you have anything else uh, RPG-wise that you want to cover? I've got a couple of things to mention. Do you have anything else on your list? Um, mostly that uh, it's uh, Year of the Demon for Paizo, mm-hmm. um, and so that means the uh, both the Adventure Path and the Pathfinder Society stuff is focused on that. I kind of dipped my toes a little bit into it with the Pathfinder Society, and I want to get back into that, because what I played for Year of the Demon was actually like really good. Um, I would say better than a lot of their other like earlier th- uh, modules and stuff. Cool. And uh, yeah, the uh, the adventure path, Wrath of the Righteous. I know you are, are you playing in that right now? Uh, I am playing in it, although I have yet to actually attend a game. But yes, <laughs> technically I am. So you're in, and I'm doing air quotes here as if anyone can actually see me. You are in theory exactly playing in that adventure path. Okay, that's right. I'm playing an arcanist. Ah, have you seen the guy who runs the adventure path thing at uh, once a week at at uh, Dragon's Lair for like five bucks a session? Yes, on Saturday somebody runs uh, the adventure paths. I think for Pathfinder Society credit as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's just five bucks a session. He plays with a lot of people. Yeah, I've heard that, and I think the reason that he was charging, I have heard, is to buy the modules, basically. So the money goes to actually purchasing the stuff for those games. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I was just kind of shocked to see somebody who's actually, I guess, I thought he was like trying to make money out of being a DM or something. Nope, no, no. It, yeah, but apparently it is actually making. Even with the charging, they are making tables, and they, it's going fairly well from what I hear. So, I mean, I was wow. there for a game day, and I was shocked at the number of people he was juggling. I mean, I think he had about eight, eight people playing. Oh, that's surprising, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and and the modules are usually designed for a party of four, so he probably had to double all the encounters or something to make the uh, experience match up. Yeah, juggling so eight people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's forty bucks. How much is the adventure path? Like a hundred and twenty. Per module, it's like, I think, uh, depending on if you have a subscription or not. And if he's a smart guy, he probably has a subscription. They're, they're not that expensive. They're like fifteen bucks a pop. With the subscription, it's something like that. And I don't know. I mean, there's also you can buy additional things related to the module. Like you can buy the 
miniatures. You can buy the maps that are specific to the module. You can buy the the card item cards and the dice. I don't know if he's doing all that stuff as well. So it can get more expensive, but it not necessarily. No, you can get it relatively cheaply. I think he's actually buying it there, though. I don't think he's doing the subscription thing kind of to support Dragon Slayer. But I'm uh, not. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that would make more sense then, because then he's probably paying twenty bucks for the uh, the module. Right. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Right. All right, that's all my stuff. What you got going? So let's see. Since last we talked, I think there's been a few things that we uh, didn't mention as far as RPG goes. Uh, we went. We talked about that we had gone to Wizard World Austin Comic Con a couple weekends ago. Uh, one of the things that I ran into there, one of the RPGs I encountered, was a steampunk RPG, uh, which looks kind of interesting. And I I got the uh, the the book for the the main book for that at a very steep discount so very nice of them so uh several years ago maybe almost a decade now there was a documentary about gamers called uber goober which is a uh you know kind of disturbing title but uh the documentarian and his 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 family were so interested in in the rpg stuff after they did that that they decided to form their own rpg company he i guess he and his friends and so they made a a company called uber games and uh, and one of the first things they've come out with is a is a steampunk RPG, which is called uh, Uber Steampunk. And it, they've actually made several uh, several books, and it seems to be doing fairly well. They sell uh, at Wizard World Comic Con. They were selling steampunk paraphernalia and and the RPGs and a bunch and a bunch of videos. You know, the gamers and their own documentary, Uber Goober, Journey Quest, all those kinds of things. And they they seem to be doing pretty well. Really nice folk. Uh, they were all dressed up in costume. But uh, yeah, so that was one that looks interesting, and I'll check it out and give a better review later on. Um, there's a couple of Kickstarter things that have happened as far as RPG goes that, that are done now. Uh, one of which is a game called uh, Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. So I don't know if any of you, if either of you, did you ever see the Amber RPG? Um, yes, I didn't get to leaf through the totality of it. So Amber, for people who don't know, is a, a series of books by Roger Zelazny. It's called The Chronicles of Amber. Uh, it's, it's a huge, huge uh, classic of, of fantasy. Uh, probably my favorite series, fantasy series of all time. I love, I love that series. Amber was a RPG made uh, by uh, several years ago. Um, and it is, I mean, one of the reasons it's famous is that the system is the Amber diceless role-playing game, right? There's no dice associated with it. It's all storytelling resolving conflicts with storytelling related um which you know is actually getting a bit more popular now in some ways uh some some of those types of games are kind of remove distancing themselves from the mechanics but uh there is there are mechanics to it there are ways that you have to resolve things there are powers and stuff that you buy you do earn experience and stuff like that but uh the amber rpg it's got it had two main books out the core book and then shadow knight and extent another book and um the main designer of that passed away, unfortunately. But Lords of Gossamer and Shadow is basically using that system, uh, the Amber RPG system. They licensed it from the rights holders and created this one, which is essentially – it's not quite a clone, but it has a lot of similarities to Amber, uh, the, the fantasy Amber, you know, traveling through worlds in these various ways. And it uses the Amber RPG system. Uh, so they actually – Wright Publishing uh, makes this makes this book. They, uh, they had – they've had – Prior to Kickstarter, they used kind of a fan funding model to do things. So there was an early one to do this, and then they did a Kickstarter for the arts, and I was part of that Kickstarter. So I got copies of uh, Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. Uh, very, very nice art, very well done. Um, 
I have the Amber books and this one, of course, I've never had a chance to play them. Someday, I hope to. But they are great. Uh, they, they look really interesting, and I like it a lot. I highly recommend it. Uh, I believe it went on sale to the public just a few days ago. So it is on sale now at uh, through DriveThruRPG. Uh, for folks who don't know, DriveThruRPG.com is where is probably the biggest place to purchase RPG-related PDFs. And recently, in the last year or so, they started uh, doing print-on-demand as well. So there's a bunch of books that you can get from print-on-demand on DriveThruRPG, and this is one of them, Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. The other Kickstarter thing I wanted to mention is, uh, for people who don't know, because I don't remember if we talked about this before, Bruce Cordell left Wizards of the Coast. So Bruce Cordell, yeah. I think you and I talked about this briefly. Yeah. Right. So one of the one of the main designers for D and D Next, one of the big designers of Wizards of the Coast for since TSR, um, he left and he has joined Monty Cook Games. Uh, I can't say that people didn't see that coming because uh, Monty Cook and Bruce Cordell have been ex- really really good friends since high school. So um, I, I don't think anyone was particularly shocked by that move. And of course, Monty Cook Games recently did Numenera, the big successful Kickstarter Numenera, uh, just mm-hmm. a little bit more than a year ago, uh, which is fun. I've played it. I've run it. It's it's really cool. Um, well, now that they've joined, they they did they completed a, another Kickstarter, um, which is using the Numenera system, but in a different world and a different kind of model entirely. And this is called Strange. So the Kickstarter is complete. It's going to be Strange is probably going to be on sale. Uh, next year again very successful um and it uses the numenera system which is a really fun and easy to to do kind of system jj you you played that right yeah i played numenera with you guys yeah so it's uh it's an easy it's a pretty easy system to grasp and, and it's a lot of fun and strange is a different world essentially uh it takes place at least in part on earth on our modern day earth and it's got this kind of secret society secret things going on vibe where there are different factions uh associated with these basically three different realities that kind of overlap on each other. One of them is kind of fantasy-based, one of them is kind of science-based, and then there's the Earth uh, as well. And it looks uh, very promising. Uh, you can look up the Strange RPG, and there's they like with Numenera, they have their design diaries. Uh, Bruce Cordell has been very good about blogging on uh, on on the page and on his own you know, Google Plus uh, Facebook pages about how he does the design part, which has been really interesting to follow. But the strange, uh, it looks like it's going to be really cool. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Numenera when we played it. Uh, it. It just seemed that even if you failed your, you, like your spot check or something like that, that there was something in the storyline that you could go through, or, or or if you failed it, you, you'd go on a completely different different storyline and that that was real interesting to me that you could get sidetracked and and still come back to your original right so the story plot one of the things that numenera does much like i believe the fate system does is that it it has a concept in, in numenera they call it gm intrusions where the way that players earn xp is the gm the person running the game says uh something bad's gonna happen to you now I'll give you an XP for it. You can and uh, well, you can spend your XP to cancel that, or you can take it and you'll get XP, uh, which is which is a very interesting way of doing things, and it's a really interesting way of doing this kind of storytelling stuff, which I really like, and uh, I, I hope to play it again or run it again one of these days. Um, it uh, it is it is a fun game, and I think the Strange is looking very promising as well. Good. We always like new games. Yep. It looks looks very Doctor Who-y as I look at the little picture yes. there. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's fair to say, definitely. And we all like Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Have you sure. finally watched the uh, the? You, did you watch the other Doctor last time we talked? 
I have I have not seen the Day of the Doctor. That's okay though. I know everything that happened, so if you want to talk about it, feel free. <laughs> no, no, I think we already covered it. I just wanted to. There was like a list of things that you were supposed to watch, and I know it's only been a few days, but uh, you know, you got to catch up. Maybe see if you've checked out Almost Human yet, or if you've uh, watched, no, no, you know, Marvel okay. Agent of Shield. Okay, if... you, you know what I did watch? What? Ghost Shark. The sequel, the, the by from the people who brought you Sharknado. Why the, out of all of the quality <laughs> programs we gave you to watch, why the hell would you watch Ghost Shark? It was so terrible. It was beautiful. It was a thing. You might as well watch awesome. that piece of trash Stone Nado that they threw out. Oh God, it's a tornado of stones. It's like, is that a real thing? I didn't, I, I didn't even see that. Yes. Yeah, no. I know. I know Sharknado was a real thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, they have shirts and they have merchandise for Sharknado. I saw that at the store. There's all kinds of stuff. No, I, what I did is I went to the back of my, the bottom of my DVR list to something that I, some terrible, terrible movies that I recorded back in like uh, July and started going up from there. So over the Thanksgiving weekend. So that was one thing I saw and I actually uh, made Holly uh, sit through at least part of that. So sorry, Holly. But uh, it was – yeah, it was just as just as I expected. It was terrible. But you know, I enjoyed it. It was awful. Um, so that was my – You do list. that yourself. Oh, you know. Uh, that, so that was my RPG list. That's what I had to talk about at the moment. Anyone else have any, others, any other RPG stuff? Nothing RPG-wise, but I think there's uh, two things that JJ and I want to talk about. One is board game-related, and one is video game-related. So I've got a huge list of video game stuff, so why don't we talk about the board game stuff first, and then we can go to video games. So uh, for Thanksgiving, we had uh, two game days, um, and uh, one was just to do our normal Pathfinder adventure card game, and we got through the second adventure. But before that, on Friday, JJ and I got to play Space Alert. Space Alert, which is a very fun game. I might add. And it's very easy to lose. Yeah, it, and it's pretty easy to learn. And once you get it kind of set up and everything, uh, it, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's a little intimidating when you first start and you see all the pieces out there and you have these cards that tell you to go a direction or do an action. And, and you're like, what am I going to do with all these things? And then you have the CD that you play or MP3s that you play that help let you know when you can do different things. And then communications go down and nobody can talk at the table and it's it's all chaotic and fun i mean i I, at least that's what i got out of it so the gist of the game is you're playing in sort of a um in a star trek like environment you're on a ship and uh you have there are six sections to the ship and in each section there are three buttons an a button a b button and a c button so you have to plan out your actions of which section are you moving to and which button are you doing to, you know, raise shields to block an attack or fire weapons or activate, you know, robots or stuff like that. Um, and uh, the the thing, the, the hit hook, the niche of this is you have to react in real time as the there's a, a variety of scenarios played out through like a robotic voice that's like the uh, the ship's voice, right? You know, red alert, blah 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 blah, and they warn you to incoming um, alerts and incoming you know obstacles and stuff like that, and you have to react in, re- in real time. Now, what you're doing is you're planning out what you, how you're going to deal with each obstacle, and then you you actually don't resolve all those actions until the situation is over. And then you figure out, you know, you you flip all your cards and figure out, like, okay, what would have happened if we would have done our stuff? And you find out, like, oh, I put down the wrong card, or oh, I'm bumping into a wall, or something mm-hmm. like that. And and oh, we can't actually do that because we took damage and it, you know, blew up a part of the ship that we were trying to use and something. So, yeah, it's 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 fun, it's frantic, 
but it's also very hard to win. So that was, I think that I would give that an overall good rating, wouldn't you, JJ? Yeah, I'd I'd probably give it like an eight point five out of ten or something like that. The... Uh, I think it's a little bit limited in the amount of people that can play before it gets too chaotic. Yeah, and and but the the added benefit is it's a short game, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah. one game shouldn't take you more than about thirty minutes, right? And there's potential there we haven't seen yet. I mean, you can play it as an ongoing game. You can gain gain experience in some ways, from what I understand, and and you can play it almost just like a campaign. You can you can go from week to week and and kind of level up your ship and do some of that sort of thing uh, to get better better encounters and maybe more cards. There's special cards that let you do things up and beyond what you may normally be able to do. Instead of doing one damage, you do one extra damage, two damage, or something like that. So I, I think there's great potential for the game. I know. Our friend Scott uh, bought the expansion pack this week, so the next time we play, there will probably be some new twists. Yep. So that was that was our big board gaming adventure for the week. That sounds good. All right, let's go into video games. Now, before we get into ours, uh, what, what do you got going on video game-wise, Carlos? Uh, go ahead and go with yours. I need to organize these web pages real quick. So JJ and I have been playing... The Might and Magic card game. Um, it's Duel of Champions. Duel of Champions. Thank you. That's what I was, I was trying to figure out what the uh, the subtitle was. Um, it's free on Steam. So this is another one of those cases of a game that completely free. It's a zero monetary investment from you. Um, if you want, you can spend money and get access to cards. Consider it a lot like Magic the Gathering. Um, in that when you sign up for the game, they will ask you, what faction do you want to be? And depending on the faction you pick, you get a free deck of that fashion, a faction. And it's going to be a lot of basic cards. They do actually give you the key components to making a decent beginner deck, um, meaning that you shouldn't be completely overwhelmed by any specific thing. And then as you play, you gain rewards that allow you to purchase additional cards. And as long as you have, if you've played like Magic the Gathering and you have basic comp- competitive card game uh, mentality, it should be fairly easy for you to build a decent game, a decent, a decent deck, right? So, you know, I, I've got a deck that I haven't spent any money on, and it's—I would say—it's a fairly good deck. Yeah, I—I I was impressed with your deck and perturbed by it all at the same time. Yeah, you're just uh, saying that because I beat you. Yeah, 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 you beat me, and and I actually don't get beat that much. So uh, I made a simple deck, too. I haven't spent any real money on the game, uh, just in-game money. And I've probably got a 75% win rate at the moment. And I just you know, I keep playing the cards that I got and buying new cards with the money I get from leveling up. And uh, for me, it's real addictive, and my wife is perturbed. Does it scratch that magic itch that you've had for a little while? Yeah, yeah, it sure does. So basically, the way the game works is, unlike uh, Magic the Gathering, there is no like mana, per se. Um, there, are th- there are four key resources. One of it is might. It's represented by a little fist, um, and that represents your, your stat for heavy-hitting um, creatures that you summon. Um, your second one is mana. Um, and that's used for a lot of your spells uh, that you cast to like heal creatures or, or put permanent enchantments or permanent ongoing spell effects. 
The third one is what's it called? Is it called like um, tactics or fortune or something like that? It's, it's fortune. It's, the cards it, are fortune cards. Yeah, it's, it's represented by a little flag, and the fortune cards are things luck. that is it luck? I think it's it, luck. It could be, it could be luck. Um, they're used a lot for. Uh, drawing if you need to get more cards or get more additional resources of other kinds. Um, you know, I got a couple of really good fortune cards that allow me to um, gain a card and then gain three more uh, or four more um, time units, right? That's the other fourth unit that you use is time. And time units are, are I think they're called time units, but they, they're escalating, meaning at the start of the game you'll have one and then your total, your total number... Uh, of the time units goes up each round, right? So on round two, you'll have two. Round three, you'll have three. And that allows you to summon the bigger and badder creatures. I think that's one of the, the really good ways that they've implemented an escalating system to where games should end in about 20 minutes, right? Realistically. Yep. Um, because at a certain point, people will be summoning such absolute badass creatures or... You know, if they've got zero things on the the board, they'll absolutely fill their board because they have so much time and so much might and so much magic that they could easily just empty their hand in one fell swoop. And um, that's that's I think one of the advantages of it because it prevents games from dragging on. And and it's I think it's very hard to get like because there's a lot of additional ways to draw um, cards. Like every character that you because you use hero cards. Every hero card, by default, allows you to spend like one time unit to draw an additional card, and a lot of the fortune cards do that, and, and there's a lot of uh, additional cards that, that allow you to draw cards. Combat-wise, I've actually never seen a spell that does direct damage. All damage is handled through the creatures. I have, I have cards that do direct damage. Well, not to the players, I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I, I have cards that do direct damage to the players. Do you? I've never yep. seen one that, uh, that does uh, that. Is it like... I've, I've, I have one. I discard a card from my hand, and then I do two damage to the hero. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I, I thought there was something like maybe like that because I've never. There are like direct damage cards that'll do like six damage to creatures, but if there was one that did it to heroes, I wouldn't imagine it'd go above two. Um, so you have a line. You have two fighting lines in front of you. One is used for your range guys. The other one is used for your frontline melee guys. And basically, you're constantly rotating creatures out of there. Um, to fight your opponent, you, frontline has to fight frontline, and if there's no frontline, then they can fight the second ra- uh, the second uh, group, right? Um, which is usually right. your range guys. Range guys can attack anyone, but you have to do line for line, right? So if you've got if you've got your fourth line filled up and the the other your opponent has their first line filled up, they can't attack each other. So they have to be on the same line, and and it it, it leads to a lot of very interesting strategies of where do you put your creatures. They only get normally they only get one action a turn, so they can either attack or they can move to a separate, you know, another part of your your attack line. Obviously. Right. To be to be a little bit more clear, you have two columns in four rows essentially. Gotcha. So that's what I was missing row, on the yeah. Rows rows can rows can attack the people in the same row, and then columns back row columns or back columns can attack any other column on the other side. Front columns can only attack. Front columns, if there's creatures in the other front column, then they can attack the back column. If there's no creatures in any column between your creature and the hero, then you can attack the hero and actually do damage to the hero. Hero has 20, most heroes have 20 hit points starting out. Uh, and once the hero gets to zero hit points, uh, you are either dead or you have won. 
Now, I'm running a specialty character who does not start with 20 hit points. My character starts with 18 hit points. But my hero, and usually the heroes start with, like, your starting resources are you get one might, one magic, one fortune. My character gets zero might, two mana, one fortune, and then I have the additional benefit of one of my specialty uh, things is I can discard a card to heal any of my creatures three hit points. Jerk. And that's where people start to hate my deck is because my deck is a protection deck and that a lot of my creatures will negate direct damage or outright heal it. And that's the thing that I used against JJ. I have a character who's a named character, an ultra rare card that I got, who when I have her out, all of my characters heal up to max hit points every round. Because unlike magic, damage persists, right? So right. If, if your character, if you're, you know, there is no defense stat um, like there was in magic. If, if Basically, if I char- uh, JJ has a creature out that has hit, eight hit points and I do two damage to it, then he's down to six hit points, and that's all he has left unless he heals up. So it is possible to whittle creatures down eventually until they die. But overall, I'd say it's a really good game. I'm kind of with uh, JJ on that one. I've been having tons of fun with it. And again, it's 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 zero dollar investment. You know, you get in and start playing, and you don't have to spend any money on it. And I think that's always an added benefit. To to be fair, I've been playing a week now, and I think my Elo is finally getting to the point where my free deck is not quite cutting it as much. Yeah. So I will have to come to the point now where I either decide to spend real money on it, which I won't because I don't have any real money to spend on it, or I just continue to grind until I can buy the cards that I need to make a better deck. So um, now with me, I know personally I can do that grind for maybe a week or two, depending on how much I'm still into the game. And then I'm probably done with it after that. If I, if I don't have the cards to, to keep up with everybody else. Um, the, the other downfall I think for this game is that it's only one versus one. Uh, there's no way to team up with one of your buddies and have like a two-headed giant game or something like that, if you know what two-headed giant is from Magic. So I think that limits it a little bit, but you know the big plus is uh, no money. So that's always a plus. Yep. So yeah, um, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, we had that same problem with League of Legends in that we were playing enough to where our ratings got high enough to where we were playing with real people who were we're really into the game and we started losing all the time because we weren't able to keep up with that, that level of player. It's the same reason I stopped playing Starcraft because when I was playing Starcraft, I got into top tier gold league and I was getting close to diamond league. And that level of player is just not something I can keep up with. Right. I'm not going to play Starcraft, you know, for six hours a day to keep that competitive edge. And so I think it's one of those games where you absolutely will reach a plateau of, of your competitive abilities unless you really start wanting to invest invest time and or money to you know overcome that plateau. Just like with any competitive game, really. Any game that has big... Because that's, well, that's what they're going for, right? They're going for the magic money, right? They're, they're going for that competitive um, game... Uh, and, and they don't have a card trading system, right? So everything's handled through their um, in-store buying, selling, and trading system. So you can't actually trade cards with another player. That's another thing I've seen people complain a lot about. 
they want to be able to trade cards with each other. But I think the the Might and Magic people want to keep a tight rein on the whole card system because they saw how that affected the the Magic game. Yeah. So, yeah, just something to give a try if you're looking for something to play. All right. That is an interesting uh, an interesting segue to this. Uh, you mentioned Elo earlier, uh, and I I uh, we were talking about that a little bit this uh, past weekend. Uh, what Elo is, and Elo is a rating system which is used to calculate the relative skill of two opponents. Uh, it was developed by a guy named Arpet Elo, who is a physics who was a physics professor, uh, and used for chess. And it's basically this kind of mathematical thing where everyone starts off even, right? And then as you play each other, winners uh, get a higher ELO, losers get a lower ELO. I was really first introduced to the term in League of Legends. I actually thought it came from League of Legends, but it doesn't. It comes from chess. Uh, and apparently it's used all over the place. It's used in in all kind, anything, any kind of competitive stuff. It's used in football. It's used in basketball. It's used in baseball. It's used in, all, and you know, of course, League of Legends and any kind of competitive sport like that. Uh, and basically it works with... Um, Say that you have a high elo and you're playing uh, against a person with a lower elo. If you're a high elo, you'll still get some points, but you won't get a lot. You only get a, a little bit of points if you win. If you're a low elo person and you beat the high people, then you'll get a lot of points. And eventually, um, it should kind of used uh, be used. It's used for matchmaking essentially to see what uh, who who should be playing each other, who's about the same kind of skill and that kind of thing. And that, that's what ELO is. Uh, in League of Legends, they have the concept, well, there is a concept I have seen called ELO Hell, which basically means that if you're, if you're, have your ELO's low enough, you'll always be put in these games with terrible teammates and, uh, and probably lose, but there's a lot of thought that that isn't uh, that isn't a real kind of thing. That that's basically eventually you can earn your way out of that. But it, I, I kind of had that problem um, myself. It's, okay, so so here's the problem because it goes more it goes beyond that. So um, I, I found myself in Elo Hell in League of Legends in that I had a string of games in which somebody left. Because um, League of Legends is different than the Might and Magic card game. In Might and Magic, it's one versus one. So if your opponent leaves, they're only affecting themselves. So if they decide, like, oh, I don't have time for, to play this game and they surrender, all they're really only hurting themselves. In League of Legends, if you leave, if someone leaves that team of five in, in the Summoner's Challenge, they're affecting four other players because they're dropping their ELO rating by not staying to compete in the game. Which is fine, I mean, I understand that emergencies happen, but for, for when I was playing competitively in the tournament for, for League of Legends, I had about 10 games in a row where we had somebody go AFK and leave. That dropped my ELO rating really, really low in what I would consider an artificial way, right? And then I'm in this lower tier suddenly where there are a lot more people who leave or just give up or, or stuff like that um, to where I was not playing with people who would stick around and finish games. And it's, it, it is hard to work yourself out of that funk. So I, I do think that there is a different set of mathematics at play. I don't think the ELO rating is a perfect rating for League of Legends because it is a multiplayer game. I think it works much better for Might and Magic because it's like chess, a one-on-one game. So like I said, if someone leaves, all they're affecting is themselves and not for other players. <clears throat> now, to be fair, we actually don't know how the League of Legends ELO works, which is kind of weird because everyone seems to have their own kind of way of doing it. So I don't I don't actually know if that counts against you more or less or whatever because it's secret. Uh, I guess it's proprietary the way that they actually do it, which is bizarre, but whatever. And that's fine, but but I'm still saying that 
having I, I mean I've watched my Elo rating drop because of lost games for for AFKers. Yeah, you can you can see it in in ranked games when you're playing ranked, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. When you're playing other types, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I've because I, I used to play the competitive League of Legends stuff, and I just I watched my rating just absolutely tank. And when I got that low, it was very hard to work my way out of because. It's not a matter of skill, I would say. I mean, because if it's just a matter of skill, then then yes, you'll eventually, if you keep at it, you'll you'll get yourself out of that rut. But instead, in that ranking, in that lower tier ranking, you do get with the people who AFK a lot, who leave a lot, right? Because they themselves are in that low tier for for being the AFKer, and that has a huge negative effect. So after that, those ten in a row, I noticed my rated games where I'd have an AFKer go from like ten percent to like forty percent. Right, mm-hmm. and and that's that's uh, I mean that's that's I think that's the elo that's the elo hell that they might be talking about. No, it's it's not what they complain about. Actually, they complain about just playing with bad people. It's the people who complain a lot. Essentially, if you go no. to the forums and such, they just I complain. Mean, bad players can be um, compensated for. You know, you you play with people and and you just try to get you know tactics going. I mean, that can help. My my biggest complaint when I was in that ranking is that just the sheer number of AFKers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is interesting how many people will quit and stuff like that. So yeah, actually that's another segue. I've been playing League of Legends a lot more recently um, for some reason. Actually, because a couple of folks from school were playing it, so I said sure, I'll I'll join in for a bit. Uh, they've changed a bit since uh, since y'all played regularly. Um, they I you you said you had played when they did. They have a mode called ARAM, which wasn't around the last time I played, which is all random, all middle which is what I've been playing pretty constantly. Uh, they have a mode called All for One, which is essentially five players of the same type playing on the regular map against five players of the same type. So like yesterday I played, uh, my team was all Gangplanks versus all Sorakas, for example, which was fascinating. Uh, that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, but they've, they've changed. I mean, one thing I have to hand it to Riot is they fine-tune the heck out of things regularly. And in the latest update, they've dramatically changed a lot of stuff, uh, especially for support for the support game, which is great. Because uh, um, the way that League of Legends work, of course, is that there's different types of of heroes or champions that you play. There's the tanks. There's the uh, with the AD carries, the people who they, they now call the marksmen. There's the mages who do magic stuff, and there's support characters and um, who do healing or other effects, the kind of support stuff. And they've changed support characters a lot to make it easier for support to earn gold and make sure that they're not the only people who can do warding and, and stuff like that um, to kind of try to try to affect that. And so far, I think the, the reception has been pretty positive to these these particular changes. And I know I, I've liked them quite a bit. I've been playing support a lot more. Um, and it's been it's been pretty nifty. And and one of the things I noticed, because I've been kind of keeping up with it since you mentioned that you were playing it again, so I downloaded it, the attention to detail is really needed for a game like League of Legends because it could easily suffer from the harder medicine syndrome, where that mm-hmm. each additional hero that they release mm-hmm. is easily, easily better than like a hero they released like two years ago, right? And so that's something I give Riot a lot of credit for on a regular basis. They go back and re-examine their old heroes and give them a touch-up to stay competitive with what they got going on. Yep. Like, one of the things I really want to do is I looked at Heimerdinger, and he operates a lot differently now. He, Yeah, he's he's hugely, yeah, he's way different now. And 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 I saw that he now can, like, get three turrets um, when he gets fully upgraded. The turrets have, like, laser blasts now as a secondary effect. Yeah, although he no longer heals towers. He no also. longer heals towers, um, right. and and so I think that was always like one of the 
uh, kind of, I wouldn't call Heimerdinger cheesy compared to some of the other characters, but that was always one of the advantages of him. You have him, you know, hug a tower because he can hug a tower pretty efficiently with his turrets, right? Mm-hmm. Planting additional turrets. Anyone who, who tries to like cap a tower is going to be in a world of pain. Um, and, right, and and for those of you who don't know, uh, the whole point of League of Legends is your 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 team usually five on five, uh, trying to destroy each other's uh, base, enemy base, and you have to you have to fight through a bunch of waves of minions and towers that shoot lasers at you and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, I, I found that there is Elo in Aram because you know when I talked to you several days ago, um, I was actually doing really well in Aram. I had like a string of ten wins in a row. And all of a sudden, that put me at a higher elo, I guess, because wow, am I now? I'm getting stuck with like bronze and silver and gold players, and uh, now I have a string of like one win and six losses. So hopefully, I'm, my elo will go back down again, so I can learn to play better. <laughs> well, that's why I was considering getting back into League of Legends. I figure it's been long enough that my rating has has reset. Yes, yeah, all <laughs> ratings got reset. So I should I, I shouldn't be in the same elo rating hell that I was in previously. Yeah, no, yeah, it, yeah. They reset every season, and the it's preseason for uh, the the current year now, and uh, yeah, and I I know it's weird because I know I now know several other different disparate groups of people who are playing League of Legends, um, so I, I have a lot of pickup games when I get a chance, and it's it's been interesting to see just uh, how they've how they've started and improved over time and joined the ranked teams and stuff like that, which I don't, you know, I, I have never played a ranked game. I, 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 when I played at first, I was playing with a group that only played against bots mainly until ARAM came out and some of these other kind of things. And then, then I've been doing that a lot, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. The other game I went back to, uh, to change topics real quick is uh, I played a little bit more is Defiance still. Uh, and I wasn't sure about. I'm I'm still not convinced that Defiance is a long-term kind of game. You know, it, it's not. Um, I don't know what kind of staying power and what kind of resources are going to be dedicated to Defiance, and I don't know what's going to happen. You know, when the series is no, the television series is no longer on. But you know, they've been they've been putting out new content. They've been putting out new events. And Defiance is a game. Is an MMO first-person shooter game. We've talked about it in the past. It's all about events. It's all about getting like big groups of people down to take out the giant aliens or the invading marauders or all that other kind of stuff. So for the first person shooter game, it is it's a fun it's a fun little game, and it's one that you can just come back in you know and and uh, do do pretty well again and start leveling up and stuff you no know, without much problem. I think I'm really just gonna hold off on MMOs until Wildstar comes out. So, right. So we can't talk a lot about MMOs because we have non-disclosure agreements with a bunch of different MMOs right now, weirdly enough. But I think the, uh, I have to say the one that I am looking the most forward to of any MMO forthcoming is Wildstar. I, I agree. And that's one that I actually think Holly might enjoy as well, just based on the stuff that's that's come out for it so far. Yeah. Melanie's actually expressed interest in playing Wildstar as well already. So, Oh, that's great. That is really good. Um, it's, you know... It's weird because I guess there's Wildstar and Elder Scrolls Online are both kind of bucking the trend and their subscription games. Um, I don't know if that's going to last very long but because uh, a lot of games have started out of subscription and then gone free to play. But uh, they're definitely starting out that way, each of them, and uh, I don't know how that's going to do. Well, I think subscription is a viable model if you can produce the content that warrants it, right? So. Wildstar is trying to come out fully sweeted, right? Because let's face it, a lot of MMOs come out half-baked. And it's hard to sell people on a subscription model when you feel like you're still beta testing the game, right? 
Like a great example of that would have been the Dungeons and Dragons online game that came out not too long ago, the the 4E1. That did not feel like a fully baked game when it came out. I'm sorry, it just did not, right? And and it it felt like a very generic game, and so I don't feel comfortable paying a subscription model for a game like that because there's still a lot of kinks being you know worked out. And I think what Wildstar and Elder Scrolls Online are trying to advertise themselves is a triple A. MMO game, I think that's a term that people use nowadays. You know, Wildstar is going to launch with multiple raid contents, the battlegrounds, their housing system alone, from what I understand, is is absolutely epic, right? The fact that every character will be able to design and build a custom house, and in some of the videos they showed off this stuff, you know, you have complete control over um, external appearance, you can move stuff around, um, and, and, you know, reshape things and, and customize the textures, interior, you can, you know, do the floors, the windows, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, they showed, like, the they, they call them the plugs, right, that you can put for certain part, features of your your housing, you know. One of them, they showed, like, the big piano from, you know, big... Um, Ferris wheel. The Ferris wheel. Um, they have the... Uh, one of the things I heard somebody say is because telegraphing is really important in the game. He's like, well, I really hope they have a way for you to practice telegraphing. And they have a, a plug that is a combat simulator that will run through a variety of telegraphs for you to have to dodge as, as part of practice. Um, you'll be able to create like a little um, uh, crafting table. You'll be able to create like a mine or, or a garden and stuff like that and let people come in and do your gardening for you. So just the housing alone sounds like people can spend hours and hours and hours mucking around with, right? Most MMOs, I mean, hell, even World of Warcraft doesn't have housing right now, right? And they've been out forever. And so I think that's why these guys are trying to ship with the subscription model, I think they're trying to advertise themselves as that premier AAA MMO. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, I do think uh, so far Wildstar looks very promising and I like their kind of, uh, I like their art style too. Uh, they, they, yeah. They're not going ultra realistic kind of stuff. They're doing more uh, animation kind of thing. And I, I really enjoy that. And, and I think that's a lot of the, the only negative comments that I've seen about that is a lot of people complain. Or I don't even know complains the right word, but they comment that they're like, Oh, it's a wow clone. And it's like, you got to get past just because wow made themselves look cartoony doesn't mean that they have the copyright on the cartoon look for anything that else comes out, right? Because I, I would argue that Wildstar doesn't look like WoW. Wildstar looks like a cartoon, and and WoW looks like a cartoon. Ergo, they have that like one thing in common. But if you actually look at the systems in total, they're very different, right? Yes, I agree. One of the things that if you've been watching the dev videos that they're very focused on is limited action bars, right? They're not having you do like dual specking or anything like that, but instead they're saying, all right, you only get to have eight actions available when you're in combat. Now, you can hot swap out of combat whenever you want, but at any given time, you can only have eight active abilities to use, and that will define what your role is. And a lot of people complain. They're like, oh, God, I want to be able to do everything. The problem with that is, is then you get like a bar like in World of Warcraft, like, you know, three different, you know, UI bars in the bottom, two on the right, two on the left. And, and all of a sudden, you have, like, a very minuscule, like, area that you can actually see for this action because you got so much crap. It doesn't really do anything, right? And and basically what they're doing with Wildstar is, like, each character class will have multiple roles that you can play, like healer or tank or, you know, uh, uh, or uh, DPS or what have you. And those roles are not defined by you switching 
like uh, like the spec, but instead switching out what active abilities you have, right? Mm. Are you using healer abilities or are you using tank abilities, right? And and that defines a lot of it. They do have other specking abilities that they're starting to kind of get into a little bit. I, I forget the name of it, but they were mentioning it on some of the streams. Um, but, you know, that that's that's a... And the combat system itself, with all the telegraphing, hugely different than what World of Warcraft does. So I think there's a lot of stuff... Um, that uh, that Wildstar is doing that's going to be really different from the model. Um, another thing, uh, JJ, how much have you been keeping up with Wildstar? Because I know that we talked about kind of doing an info info blackout. Uh, yeah, I haven't been unless you usually link the dev speak. I usually don't watch them, so I haven't watched anything since the hoverboard. Oh yeah, the hoverboard was epic. Um, we're getting the last two classes released soon, so they've done like individual dev speaks on all the classes. So warrior, stalker, spellslinger, which looks really interesting because they do a lot of teleportation stuff, and the esper, which is they say is a combination between Green Lantern and um, uh, Professor Xavier, right? That you're a kind of a psychic dude who forms like these uh, temporary uh, force uh, objects and stuff. Um, but one of the things I find really interesting that, that also separates it from WoW is that they're recognizing that classes are going to be expected to do additional things, right? So every class has two roles that they can fill. Like Esper can do healer or damage. Um, the Stalker can do DPS, can do damage or tank. Warrior can do tank or damage. Like everyone will be do, able to damage and they'll have a second role that they can fulfill. I think that's a good thing that they're doing because they're moving away from the problem that World of Warcraft had with their specialty classes like Mage, Hunter, Warlock, mm-hmm. Rogue, where these guys got locked into a into a, a corner with their spec that they couldn't get out of, right? Right. They couldn't they couldn't do anything else besides DPS yeah. or whatever it was. And and the classes everybody started playing were what paladin and druid because paladins and druid could play any one of the three types yeah, and, and now monk as well and now yeah. monk as well if you look at the numbers um all of the hybrid classes and i consider a hybrid class and i think they can do two or more roles they by far are the most played role uh, classes in wow except for and the only um exception to this rule is hunter and Hunter is the highest played class because it does the most damage. It is it is the top tier DPS class. And it has pets. pets. And it and it, oh that's the other thing. You're absolutely right. Pets. And a lot of people we, we can't discredit that. A lot of people just like the pet collection, right? Because Hunter's mm-hmm. kind of turned into a bit of a Pokemon thing. Right? Holly. Yeah. Right? So a lot of people enjoy that aspect of it. But when you take out Hunter, right? All the the hybrid classes, it goes like Paladin, Druid, um, it go, the uh, the the uh, uh, monks uh, on there also, but you know priest because they can do shadow spec, so they can do DPS mm-hmm. or healing. Warrior um, with the might spec and do DPS, or they can do tank, right? And at the very bottom, you have the singular classes of wizard, warlock, rogue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's 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 a it's a problem that World of Warcraft has, I think, and it's it's because of their dual spec design, they took away because if you look at it. Back in vanilla WoW, being a paladin, like trying to do healer spec paladin, did not work, right? Right. And doing a tank spec paladin, eh, kind of worked, but not as as well as you know. You couldn't really do it that well. 
but they decided to get away from the watered down hybrid and just give them full access to each one of those classes, each one of those things. And within and the indu- introduction of dual spec took away any reason to play a singular class at all. Right, especially yeah. since they they've been they've tried very hard to balance it, but so of course people want to have that versatility that to play these various things because basically your paladin healer should be just as good as you know your your priest healer or, or your uh, your DPS should as a priest should be just as good as another DPS class. So yeah, you know that's of course that's what people want to play. They can make the groups more. They can perform all these kind of party functions. So yeah. And that's why I abandoned because my when I first played World of Warcraft, my primary was a rogue, and I did you know oodles and boodles of damage, and then right. when dual spec came out and they made viable alternate you know uh, specs for all the uh, hybrid classes, that's why I switched to a paladin because I was like I have no reason to play a rogue anymore. Right, because then you could be a poison rogue or you could be a backstab rogue. That's right. Or it could be a sword rogue. Right. right. You know. It could be a sword rogue. Either way, I hack it. I'm 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 punching things. Right. So. That uh, this that might be an interesting segue. Did you see there is a, another World of Warcraft expansion coming out? Yeah, nope. I hear that they're trying to time it for Wildstar to a certain degree. Because like what they did with Star Wars: The Old Republic, they're trying to minimize the impact that either they're. I think they're trying to to schedule it for either Wildstar or Elder Scrolls Online because. They they do this sometimes. They're trying to minimize the impact that the game will have of stealing their their core audience, because from what I've read, they've been kind of bleeding players for a little bit. Yep, as as normal. There was a big surge when the um, pandas when, when pen pandas came out, which has quickly you know then everyone reached the end of content and it uh, it uh, dropped precipitously, like much much bigger than there's been drops before. I mean, even even Holly and I haven't played very much. Uh, in the last several months, you know, we've been doing other things instead, playing other things, playing Animal Crossing on on Nintendo DS. Uh, but uh, the uh, yeah, so they they've lost a lot of a lot of players over time. Um, but we'll see what happen. We'll see what happens with that. The, I mean, mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, I wasn't saying anything. Oh, the yeah. So there's there's a new expansion coming out called Warlords of Draenor, which is going to take place on the Orc homeworld of Draenor, which we have seen before because that is now Outland. So I'm not entirely certain how that is going to happen. One thing they're doing, which I I've never liked, is uh, they did this in Panda also, is that you won't be able to fly at all in, until until you finish everything. Actually, until the first patch comes out, you're not going to be able to fly because they want to make you walk around. And they I do love that, flying. They do that every yep. single time. And yeah, it's and annoying every I, single time. I, I agree. Um, they are doing model redos finally for the races and stuff that haven't had model redos. And in, in, about in, in, time because yes. holy crap, some of those yes. models look old. Yes, so they're finally mm-hmm. doing model redos and they are introducing housing. So they are actually going to be introducing some form of housing. They they had like pseudo housing uh, with the farm thing that they implemented in the panda system, but it was instance only. You could only go to yours. No one else could visit it. Whatever. Apparently, they're going to be doing a more kind of robust housing with this one. I'm not sure how now, much. Do you, do you feel like they're doing that in response to Wildstar because they feel pressure to do it now? Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's. I don't. I don't think it's specifically in response to Wildstar. I mean, they've been they've been saying they're going to do housing forever, and they just never have. So it might be partly that that increased the pressure on them, so that they're finally going to do it. But uh, you know, it's something they've been saying they're going to do for a long time, and it's kind of uh, about time they did. It's something they've been promising for like eight years now, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they're finally doing it when a game that comes out that's being heavily compared to them, right? 
is coming out with a, a very dynamic and robust housing system. So I, I, I would I would put probably a bit more than what you're putting, a, 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 you know, attribute it to pressure from Wildstar to compete with them. Yeah. Uh, the other big news is that uh, Ghostcrawler is leaving. Who? The the main guy, the main lead designer for the last five years of World of Warcraft is a guy named Ghostcrawler. Who's he's like he's kind of been their public face and all this kind of stuff. And he just announced, I think, within the last week that he is going to be gone. Is he starting up his own company? Because that's what uh, most of the Blizzard guys do when they leave. We have no idea what he's going to be doing. So uh, I, I'm not entirely sure. One of the weird things I saw with this news, uh, with, with when I first read the announcement about Warlords of Draenor, is one of the news sites said, uh, Blizzard said this is not going to be the last expansion. Which is a very weird kind of yeah. way to tell a story. <laughs> well... Like, They've been talking about the mystery project that's been under development at, at Blizzard for a while now because they've been, in theory, working on a second MMO, right? Yep. It wasn't the card game? No. Oh, okay. Now, there's been a lot of rumors thrown around. The two most prevalent are World of Warcraft 2 and Galaxies of StarCraft. Mm-hmm. Now, which one of those is accurate? It. Now, I think Blizzard came out and said that it's actually going to be an independent IP, that it's not going to be based off of anything they have right now. I've heard the name Titan thrown around, um, but I don't know if that's just a placeholder name or something. But there's definitely the question of, if they're working on a second premier MMO, what is going to happen with World of Warcraft? And reality is, is probably nothing. I mean, EverQuest is still around. Yeah, the original EverQuest, I was just right. going to say the same thing. Still you know, there. World of War. I mean, uh, Ultima Online is still around. Yeah, I was going to say you can still find Ultima Online in places. You can probably still play Muds, as far as I know. Yes, you can. For yes, sure. yeah. There you go. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect anything to happen in World of Warcraft. So, uh, it, but you're right. It does. It sounds like a very weird thing to state, though, uh, mm-hmm. publicly. So, do you feel like they're just worried to a certain degree about their player base? Oh, totally. I mean, this this like I said, this last this last drop was been bigger than like think any other one. Uh, you know, there's all that cycle always happens, but I think they're definitely worried about it. And there's, you know, big properties coming out, Wildstar Elder Scrolls Online, huge going right for that same target audience. Uh, there's that other EverQuest game that's coming out, the one that will have destructible terrain. Yeah, I don't know when that release is supposed to be released though. I haven't read too much about it, but yeah. Yeah, there's it's called EverQuest Next, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I haven't really besides that uh that like technology demo they showed of like an ogre running through the forest after some players and it was like running through the trees and collapsing stuff. It looked kinda cool, but a lot of people were like, Oh, this will be better than anything else and I was like, That's there's a lot of information that we're we're missing on this. Right. Exactly right. Um, let's see. Anything else to say on that or ready for the next on the list? What's next on the list? Uh, I had, so one thing I have not played, but I know it's come out. I was going to check and see if you guys had Batman Origins. I've been playing that. How is it? Um, it is definitely another Batman game made with the same engine as Arkham City. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's not a bad game, but here's my problem. Batman Arkham City is a love letter to Batman. First of all, written by Paul Dini. Paul Dini is one of the greatest Batman writers, I would say, on the planet. He invented the Harley Quinn character. And if you've listened to, like, Fat Man on Batman with Kevin Smith, Paul Dini is emotionally tied to his characters. Like, when he talks about Harley Quinn and her relationship with the Joker and how broken and tragic it is, he starts crying, 
right? He he is very much into Batman. And one of the great things about it is in Arkham City, the entire playscape of Arkham is, is tied with all these little idiosyncrasies that if you're a comic book fan, means a lot, right? Um, Isley's, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, plant shop, right? And it has vines growing out. And, you know, obviously, um, uh, from Poison Ivy, um, they have the, uh, um, Dent for Governor signs, you know, obviously, a, you know, call to Harvey Dent, you know, before he turned into Toothpaste and stuff. And one of the greatest things, when you go to Crime Alley, um, people might not realize this, but the Crime Alley is a, is a referenced area in, uh, the Gotham City and Crime Alley is the alley behind the movie theater uh, where Bruce Wayne's family, uh, his parents were killed, right? That is the official crime alley. And in Arkham City, if you go to that place, you see the chalk lines of where um, his parents were killed, and there's two roses there. And if you go there, you get the ability to interact with the environment, and all you do is sit down and do like a little prayer, and the camera like turns around you with some very tragic and dramatic music you know, as they show Batman, and all of his buffness just sitting there taking a moment to to pray to his, his parents, and then he gets up and leaves. They have that same area in Arkham Origins, but you don't get to do that, right? There's no taking a moment to remember your parents. I don't even think there are chalk lines there. And that's my problem is that it's just a Batman game in name only, and and they've got the graphics and they got the engine, but the love isn't there, right? The writing is eh, right? The 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 and here's the thing that that I have a problem with, right? It's supposed to be about Batman in his first year uh, of being Batman, so you know a lot of the cops are like, you know, have you heard there's a bat that you know are, are terrorizing the criminals? They're like, oh, how can you believe in such superstition, right? So Batman is still not a fully believed commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't met the Joker yet, so like you get to go th- play through the first meeting with the Joker, and it's very anticlimactic. It's not nearly as awesome as is what it could have been. And the other problem is is that a lot of the toys you get to play with, the devices, mm-hmm. are actually more powerful than the stuff that you had access to in Arkham City. And you can tell that they're really playing with the same model that they had in Arkham City because in Arkham City, it all takes place, the entire story takes place over one night. And they were like, oh, well, naturally for our game, it has to take place over one night again, Christmas. And I was like, Bullshit! You don't need to do that. You don't need to force <laughs> your you don't you don't need to force yourself in the same model as the previous game. Try to do something different. If you're going to do an origin story, talk you know have the player play out being Batman for the first year. Really do an origin story, right? Play out him working you know trying to gain the trust of Gordon. Play out him you know using his tools for the first time and screwing up and getting hurt because of it, right? Do sort of a Batman Year One thing where you get your you get beat up a couple times until you get better at combat and stuff like that. But it wasn't. It, it's it's not that at all. It is really just a let us reuse the engine that was used previously. And don't get me wrong, it's a great engine. The graphics look great. The combat flow is is superb, right? But and, and, and that's what we know is that the people who made Arkham City did not make this game. They handed it off to another company and said, just make us a game, right? And and that's what and that's what it feels like. So while it is entertaining enough, it's not nearly as good as Arkham City. What uh, what system are you playing it on? I'm actually playing it on my computer. 
um, what I've been doing is I haven't been doing Steam stuff. I haven't been doing console stuff as much. Um, a lot of these games that come out for consoles are coming out for Steam, and Steam has full integrated Xbox controller support. So if you have an, uh, a wired controller like I have that plugs into the USB, mm-hmm. I can then hook my laptop up to a TV and play it just like it was a console. So I play most of my games now on Steam. Right. And I've noted, I mean, I think your your review is pretty uh, representative looking at, you know, review sites like uh, Metacritic and, and uh, just kind of looking around is that uh, most people find Arkham uh, Arkham City to kind of be the the definitive Batman game. Uh, Arkham Asylum are, reviewed really well. Arkham City reviewed either the same or slightly better. And then there's there's a pretty pretty significant drop when you get to Arkham Origins. Yeah. Uh, so so Arkham Arkham Asylum. Um, yeah. So JJ is just an IM. Yeah, uh, Carlos, you're kind of breaking up a little bit for us. Huh. Um, Arkham Asylum was the entry into the series, and you can tell that they were getting their feet wet with, with the system, um, and and so they had some issues that they needed to work out with combat and stealth and stuff like that. All that stuff got solved in Arkham City, and that is just an absolutely stellar game, right? So if you want to kind of get the backstory, because some of Arkham Asylum is referenced in Arkham City, so it's absolutely totally worth playing Arkham Asylum first. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. And and then playing Arkham City, and like I said, Arkham City. Just a freaking love letter to Batman. I, I I would say that there is no better superhero game out there um, than the Batman Arkham City games. Um, and to that end, I mean, those games are just stellar when compared to other normal games, right? I know that for a long time there was sort of a stigma against superhero games because of you know terrible games like the Superman 64 game and stuff like that. Um, and so... It's been a while since we really had a decent superhero game. The Batman games, stellar. And like I said, even this Batman Origins game, even though the love isn't there, it's still a solid game. You'll you'll still find enjoyment from it, but as a Batman fan myself who reads the comics, who who keeps up with the storylines and stuff like that... I did not find Origins to have all the really cool, like, little touches that Arkham City had. Primarily because Baldini didn't write it. It doesn't have the same feel of the characters because they did not hire Kevin Conroy to do the voice. And I'm sorry, he is the voice of Batman. He's been the voice of Batman for 20 freaking years. And anytime you have anything animated or video game-wise that doesn't use his voice, it sounds wrong. The only other person that I've been okay with as Batman has been Peter Weller in the Dark Knight series. Mm-hmm. And so they did not bring back um, Mark Hamill as the Joker, so they have a different Joker, right? So again, you're missing that. You know, I, I'll say that there's a certain nostalgia factor there, but even with the voices, a lot of my problems with the writing and the overall feel of the game. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the representative reviews. Different studio, same product. It's basically Arkham City repainted. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, even though it's worse than the predecessors in every possible way, it's uh, still a highly enjoyable game, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of exactly what you said. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's exactly. That's pretty much what I'm what I'm reviewing it as. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what other games are you guys playing? So uh, I was going to mention a couple of things. So a game that uh, that is out. So I did not play the Walking Dead Steam game. I heard it was great. I think you all played it. Is that right? I played it. I had a ton of fun with it. So the same company is all is making a, another series because you know they released the Walking Dead in a kind of uh, epi- episodic manner, right? There were five five things released, and you can purchase it all now. Uh, they're also are releasing a new one, the same company called The Wolf Among Us. 
which is the same people who brought The Walking Dead. Uh, this one is actually based on a comic series, Bill Wellingham's Fables series. I'm not sure if you've read that, but essentially it's a um, – if you've heard of the show Once Upon a Time, that that show seems to borrow a lot from the concept of Fables, whether intentionally or not. Um, that uh, Fables is, is older and it's come out before, very popular uh, title, which essentially there's a bunch of – fable fairy tale characters living in the streets of new york um and it's a excellent excellent comic series uh so far the game has been pretty well reviewed and that is one that i'm going to be checking out soon cool i've been playing some old school like final fantasy games my kids really enjoy when i play those uh, but i also picked up or borrowed from our friend scott uh the last of us um i don't know had you reviewed that yet no, we haven't reviewed that yet. Um, I am really enjoying that one. Uh, kind of on the same lines as as Batman, just in the feel of the game, sort of. Except it's you know, end of the world apocalypse time and zombies and and whatnot. But uh, a lot of good problem solving in it, and in good suspense and a really good storyline. Uh, not to give anything away, but but really enjoying that game. I'm actually kind of surprised you're you're enjoying that so much because. Um, you did not like the uh, the Heavy Rain series. Um, you stopped playing that because of, of how dark the story was. And, and The Last of Us has a pretty dark story also. Yeah, it it's dark, but I, I don't know. It For me, it was just different. And it may have just been a different time. And, you know, now my kids are older and I'm not as worried about some of those things. Blah. Fair enough. Uh, some game news stuff. Uh, Baldur's Gate 2, the Enhanced Edition, came out. Much like the Baldur's Gate 1 release, there's a bunch of new content, new characters, and stuff like that. Uh, it came out pretty recently. Haven't heard much about it yet, but uh, when it goes on sale, I'll probably pick it up one of these days. Um, Shadowrun, we talked about Shadowrun Returns in the past. And they uh, they reached a deal with Microsoft now so that they can release the DRM free version of the game, which they said they were going to do on Kickstarter. One of the big criticisms that people have had and that I had is that they said they were going to release the game DRM free and they didn't. Uh, and it was because of their contract with Microsoft. Well, Microsoft said, go ahead. So good for them. And they are going to be releasing it DRM free as well. Uh, the Berlin expansion for Shadowrun Returns is going to be coming out in January. Nice. Cool. And I think you all picked that up recently, right, BJ? Um, well, I was on the Kickstarter thing, so I, I played through the first pack, and I enjoyed the overall mechanics of it. I just felt it was short. Right. We did talk about that before, but yes. I guess yep. Beck, Beck was going to start playing it. Yeah, so she bought it also. She just recently uh, – Steam had their big Black Friday sale. It's one of the things I'm loving now about Black Friday is you don't actually have to go out for Black Friday. <laughs> um, now, granted, we actually did go out for Black Friday, but we went out late to avoid the crowds, and we went out so we could get the Santa Claus pictures taken with Grayson for his first year. Um, but you don't actually have to leave your house anymore for Black Friday deals. You can just simply uh, stay indoors and go online to Amazon or, or Best Buy or Steam and, and get all your cool stuff that way. You could also Photoshop Grayson into a Santa Claus photo and wouldn't have to go out still. Yeah, but I felt like we had to. Well, it was sort of a family outing, and Beck had never done pictures with Santa Claus either, and the Lakeline Mall had a really good Santa. Uh, so I was like, you know what? And to be fair, it actually wasn't that crowded, right? That, um, that's good. It was only really crowded in the food court for some reason, and so we just kind of avoided the food court, but the rest of the place was fine. 
Actually, they said this Black Friday was way down in sales as compared to... But they had more people out. So I hear the numbers were this year they had like... A hundred and what was it? A hundred and fourteen million, whereas last year they had a hundred and seven million people out. It's it's really strange, yeah. And I, I can see because Back Friday and Cyber Monday uh, this year, I didn't find anything that great out. Like normally, I, yeah. remember, I I go, I look, and I find things like, oh, that's great. I can buy this, you know, either for myself or for someone for a present. And this year, just not not seeing a lot of great deals for some reason. Yeah, we almost bought some bicycles at Academy, but. I don't know. Just wasn't didn't feel right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I, I was very. I mean, I picked up like a couple of presents, uh, but nothing like I have in the past. It wasn't something that I had to go out and do or whatever. And eat, looking at any of the sites, and I I did go out, um, not specifically for Black Friday. I just happened to be out shopping, and I, I took a look at some places, and there was just nothing really that that interesting. Agreed. Yeah, I mean. It... I think that people are just getting their Christmas shopping done earlier because mm. um, th- that's what it always feels like is that Christmas is pushing itself earlier and earlier into our lives and that really the Black Friday thing was all about Christmas shopping, right? Yep. Right. And and I feel like we had our Christmas shopping done weeks ago, right? Now, granted, we had to have sort of an early Christmas because we're leaving, so we did all of our Christmas stuff already. Um, but I, I think that's also part of the problem is that people are getting a lot of their Christmas shopping done before Black Friday. Ergo, there's no real need to do the Black Friday stuff. I also think people don't want to risk their lives to go shopping. <laughs> oh, I've heard some morning. crazy stuff. Like some woman got tased. There was a gunfight at Walmart over a parking space. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to risk my life to actually go buy a, a Furby for you know ten dollars instead of twenty five. I already hate shopping enough, but you know if, if there's a, a risk to life and limb, then I'm gonna hate it even more and, and <laughs> avoid it avoid it more than I already avoided. That's awesome. Um, oh, so one game thing that has happened since since uh, we all were together last is the PlayStation Four and Xbox One have come out. Any of you get any of those? No, no, <laughs> me neither. And I, I'm not seeing a real reason to at the moment either. No, and there's already been a ton of reviews. Uh, so the PlayStation 4 had their blue pulse of death, and then the Xbox came with a bunch of busted optical drives. Um, so they both had their problems. And they've had their reviews, and basically um, the reviews boil down to PlayStation 4. Yep, it plays games, and that's about all it does. Yep. And and for the Xbox, they're like, yes, it's trying to do more but the more that it's trying to do doesn't have a, a completely successful ratio, right? It, mostly talking about the problems with the connect voice commands because they want you to use the connect voice commands more and more. And I hear that they're really good and that the connect can learn, but that learning curve can be kind of steep in the earlier days as it's trying to figure out like you're the idiosyncrasies of you. And so it only has like a success rate of like 85 to 90% for in, um, understanding commands. Um, and so really really, 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 it boils down to they're just both next-gen systems, right? They're, everything in the reviews, I can't find, like, a distinct thing between the two. Nope, and, and, and there's so many comparison reviews out that are like, um, just do get the one that you want. It's basically what it is. It's like, there's not... Yeah. They're, they're both next-gen systems. They both do a lot of different stuff, and and I really don't... Um, I so far I'm not really seeing a reason of something that I have to I have to get at the moment. So they I'm, both have had some hardware problems at launch, but they are fairly minor and and affected a very small percentage of the the population that bought them. They both sold 
out completely on day one. They sold, you know, millions of units on day one and sold out of their inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I there's nothing that says, like, you know, this is the IT system. Right. So Wii U it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, although the, the, the Wii U was under fire because they felt like they lost their core audience. Did you read about that, Carlos? No. I, I read, well, what, what part? Well, that they, they didn't, they're, they're having trouble with the sales, and they feel like the problem that they had is that they didn't market to the child you know, genre more like what they're known for. Oh, right? yeah. And, and that's why they've had some hard times with the sales, right? So we'll see. I, I heard that the ratio of uh, that Microsoft is making a little bit more money off the Xbox based off of price per parts to produce versus the actual cost. Um, but again, that's just... It's like a fraction, though, difference between them. It's it's nothing substantial. So, uh, yeah. And what's also stopping me, neither one of them are backwards compatible, which is nuts. Exactly. Yeah, that's what that's what Beck hated about the both of them because and 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 it's, I mean, it's hard selling uh, selling that right. You know, yeah. uh, the the Microsoft Live account tried to do something where they're offering a free game, um, for download every month, uh, for subscribers up to the launch of Xbox One, so you can then install those on Xbox One to play them. But, I mean, people are going to have a fairly robust, you know, collection, and, and if not all of them are backwards compatible, um, it's hard. Especially, like I said, in the current market, the games I get, I can get on Steam and play it and not have to worry about any of this bullshit. Yep. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Does this Is the console market dying? I mean, well, they've sold – that's the thing. They've sold more units, both of them, than any other launch by uh, by more than twice as many units. So I can't say that it's dying. Yeah. Uh, it's just I don't – I'm just not finding it compelling. I mean apparently people – some people are. Yeah. I, I maybe, really wonder maybe who those people – It was dying for us, but yeah, maybe. not necessarily – Are we just old farts? That's a better question. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I know I am. Yeah. yeah. That could be it, because like I, yeah, I don't, I don't need or want the latest and greatest for these consoles. And and that's a fair statement, because I, it, I feel like the console market is the younger man's market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the people that I know who have expressed interest, such as my nephew and stuff like that, who who get these things day one, you know, they're all in their early twenties, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and that's that's not us. And it's I, I think it's a, an FPS market. I don't I don't know. I mean, I just not. To me, I, I've never been a big FPS fan, but your Call of Duties, your yeah. Ghost Recon, your Battle, Halos, Battlefield Four, mm-hmm. yeah, five, I, six, I, seven. I can definitely I mean, see that. Yeah, yeah, that might be it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not all that fond of those either. So, all right, well, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, let's see, other things. So, other game stuff you want to talk about? Um, nothing off the top of my head. I got a few things from the Steam sale, uh, but I haven't had a chance to play them yet, so nothing to review there. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been keeping up with any of the YouTube subscriber stuff with, like, Geek and Sundry or what have you? Not a lot. I mean, I, I see the notices as they come across my feed, but I don't actually watch them. Yeah, I'm kind of confused as to what, like, Felicia Day is trying to do with all that stuff. Like, she has a couple series that she's doing with, like, her brother, the um, Coinoptitude, where she plays games with her brother, these co-op games and stuff like that. But none of them are really catching on, like, her the Guild series. Right. Uh, now, I think the strongest series on Geek & Sundry is their tabletop series. I agree. Yeah. I think That's that. It. 
Although yeah, I, think- I have been watching the magic series, what is it called? Uh, with Day 9? And I think that has its place, but I still don't think it has, and I could be wrong, but I don't think it has nearly the amount of viewers that Tabletop has. Oh, I'm sure it doesn't, and they only have a few episodes, and they only think, I, I think they only play one game together. Um, it It's definitely got room to grow, but uh, I don't know. It, to me, the things where they're actually playing games and talking about them are interesting, and the webisode-type stuff, I don't know, not so much interested in. Well, Coin Optitude is fun because they they are playing like video games there, but it's mostly them like screwing it up really badly, right? And and showing how much like they don't know how to play console games anymore, right? Um, I don't know. I I mean, because if you look at like Geek and Sundry, you know, they actually have like a production crew that does all this stuff, but they don't have like they only have you know seven hundred ninety thousand subscribers. Does that? I, I don't know how YouTube works. But I don't know if that's enough to support that. It yeah, almost I, it almost feels like she has to go back and do the guild again just to get the proper number of viewers. Yeah, I was actually surprised to finish the guild. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's all for me though, game wise. So a couple other new things. Let's let's go to Kickstarter since you know that has a time limit on it if people are interested in it. True. Uh, I'll show you the ones that are ending soon that I am watching right now. One of them is the Seventh Guest Three, which is kind of interesting. Seventh Guest Three. Did y'all play the Seventh Guest at all? No. So the Seventh Guest was one of the original CD-based video games. Uh, it uh, it it came out. It was a little bit later than Mist. I think Mist was the very first one, but this was contemporary with it. Certainly, uh, horror puzzle game. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, the some folks here in Austin actually did the. Is that soundtrack. the one where you went through like a mansion or something like that? That's that's the one. I guess I actually played that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, a lot I'm of old. A lot of fun, and it had a sequel called The Eleventh Hour. So now they're doing a Kickstarter to try to make a third one. All these years later, um, I not I don't think it's actually going to fund. Unfortunately, it's got about a week to go, and it's only got about a quarter of the money, uh, about a hundred thousand dollars. And kind of the way that these seem to work is on a. Uh, on a curve, although people, they tend to make a lot of money at first, and then they kind of taper off, and then they make a lot of money at the end. And if this follows that same pattern, then this will not, uh, this probably won't make in this particular version. But they might do another one or do something else to get the funding. But uh, that looks that looks interesting. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. Um, Green Ronin, the company Green Ronin, it's a uh, it's an RPG company that we've we've seen before. Um, I'll mention this. This was an RPG news kind of thing. One of the big third-party kind of Pathfinder companies in existence was Super Genius Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Genius Games uh, was mainly by three persons, Stan Brown, Hiram Savage, and, and, and Owen Stevens. And there were some other designers that worked for them. Christina Stiles uh, had a line under them, Christina Stiles Presents, which, which I've written for. So Super Genius Games... Um, they actually dissolved, so they 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 no longer. Well, they still exist, but the three of the three people are no longer together. It's just the Hiram Savage thing, and all the Pathfinder stuff. Uh, Owen Stevens took with him, and then Stan, the the third person, joined back with Owen Stevens again. So now those two are together in in something called Rogue Genius Games, and are now producing a lot of the stuff that Super Genius Games had. Uh, so that that was one news thing. And the reason this is related is that the other thing that Owen Stevens has been doing is that he joined Green Ronin. So Green Ronin, another 
big third party company. They do, you know, uh, they do Song of Ice and Fire. They do Dragon Age. They do uh, all kinds of, 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 of game systems, uh, Mutants and Masterminds and all that. They hired Owen Stevens on as their full time Pathfinder person. So they've hired someone just to work on Pathfinder stuff, which is, you know, that's, again, speaks to the health of Pathfinder in, in the kind of RPG ecosystem. Um, and they are doing a Kickstarter for the advanced bestiary for Pathfinder RPG. And that one's got uh, more than a week to go, but that one's also well past funding. So that one's definitely going to make it. If people are interested, advanced bestiary for Pathfinder RPG is out there uh, from Green Ronin. Uh, the next one is White Wolf is continuing its tradition of funding all of its RPG material through Kickstarter. And, you know, they've done – they did Werewolf. They did Vampire. Uh, they've done Hunter. They've done all – they're doing all of those. May, uh, I'm not sure if they've done Mage yet actually. But they're doing now Demon the Descent Prestige Edition, and that's being funded on Kickstarter much like, much like the last one. It's got more than a week, about a week and a half to go. Uh, but it's at almost 300% funding. It's definitely going to make it. So if just this is just the one. If you want to go and grab it, this is the time to do it. Um, another people we reviewed before, Paul and Storm. They do kind of geek music. There are people who do that. They have a new album called Ball Pit coming out. Uh, got 10 days to go if you would like to be contribute to that Kickstarter. That one is also close to 300% funded. Definitely going to make. Uh, so that's another good one that's coming out. Um, and the other couple that I'm still watching, there's a uh, there's a bunch of kind of Japanese role playing games that are that are out in Japan, you know, tabletop role playing games that kick, they're using Kickstarter as kind of a mechanism for releasing them English versions of them. So one of them that's coming out is Ryu Utama, which is called uh, I guess they say a natural fantasy role playing game, uh, and it's a it's being translated for release in English. It's got 12 days to go, and it is 835 percent funded. Which is a good wow. sign, yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, they weren't asking for a lot, but still, that's that's really impressive for what they wanted to do. And that one's coming out. Cute art, looks like a cute game, very child friendly. Um, looks like it's going to be quite good. And the last one that I'm watching right now, I, I briefly mentioned last time, and that is, again, Pathfinder is is uh, or other people are licensing Pathfinder stuff to do other things. So we had the card game, uh, Pathfinder Dice Arena is the next one that's coming out. It's got a whole month to go, uh, 28 days to go. It's only been going on for a couple of days now, and it's 141% funded. So, um, yeah, that's that's looking impressive as far as uh, funding and what they'll be able to do with it. And I am not sure how it plays yet. I haven't had a chance to look a lot into it yet, but I can see that you know the stretch goals are adding more characters or adding more items, uh, stuff like that, and looks like it'll be fairly interesting. I don't want to roll more dice. You love rolling dice. So my question is, Carlos, when are we going to get a Kickstarter campaign to redo Night Trap? To redo Night Trap? Hmm. I hadn't even... That's an excellent question. Did you ever play Night Trap on the 3DO? Yes. So that was the controversial game about a a group of of people in a house that was being invaded by... It was vampires or something like that, and you had yeah, to I don't know. activate traps in a timely fashion and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I so. saw a demo of it. I don't. I never owned a 3DO, but they also released it on the uh, on the PC, I believe. I think they did. Yeah. So it's it just seems like you know the Kickstarter has become this thing to you know when we see you know, the uh, the Seventh Guest Three and stuff like that. You know this this classic nostalgia stuff going on. Right. So. 
Ah, uh, that is that is beautiful. I'm looking now at the night trap. That was wow. Yeah, that was that was great. Um, uh, let's see. So that was my Kickstarters. Any of you have stuff that you're watching on Kickstarter? No, most of my stuff is kind of ended. Um, I tried to pay attention to some of the Pathfinder stuff to uh, see if it's something I'm interested in. The other question I was going to have: Do you know what's happening with the Pathfinder MMO? Yeah, they they release a, double, a developer blog uh, weekly and talk about the kind of different stylistic choices they're making about things and how different mechanics are going to work. Yeah, they're still, as far as I know, they're still on track. They got uh, they got their funding and their venture capital stuff uh, successfully after the Kickstarter, so it looks like they're still going to be released. Um, I guess I forget twenty fourteen sometime possibly. I, I don't recall exactly. Now they're they're labeling it a fantasy sandbox MMO, but I really don't understand how the what what sandbox means in this context. I'm not entirely certain. Um, I know that people are going to be able to like build sit fort, fort cities that kind of stuff and be able to invade cities and take over stuff and there's going to be a lot of I mean there is going to be dungeon content you could run into dungeons but there's also going to be a lot of I guess kind of Ultima online like online like player interactions mm-hmm. as well um I think they're trying to do a lot of that where you know um you know this 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 may have changed since I last looked at it, but you know if you've played Eve, you know there's a concept of there's safe places you can go and there are more dangerous places you can go where you can you know you can be the victim of PvP. You could have that happen to you in the safe place, but then there's like giant bounties put on you when that happens. Uh, same, they're doing the same kind of thing here. Uh, it seems like in that uh, th- you'll be able to put bounties on people. People will get uh, reputation if they're PvPers, which you know might be good with some NPCs, might be bad with some NPCs, and, and so on. Uh, so I know there's going to be a lot of player interaction, city building, uh, city defending, stuff like that. Okay. It just seems like it's been under, it's been worked. They're work, been working on it for a while now, but it just I haven't really seen anything. I haven't seen a lot of publicity for it. It's one. I mean, I since I was part of that Kickstarter, I get those. Uh, I get the announcements every week that says, you know, hey, there's a new development blog, and go check it out here. But uh, I haven't actually been following it that closely. Yeah, I'm also like not seeing anything like mechanics-wise, like how the classes are going to work. If, if they're going to try and make it work strictly like the RPG, or if they're going to make some concessions for the online stuff. Oh, they have to make concessions for the online stuff. I don't think they can actually legally necessarily make it just like the RPG uh, because of the open game license. Uh, so unless they negotiate some other kind of license, I don't think mechanically they can make it exactly the same. Once again, an argument for buying Wizards of the Coast, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we'll see. We'll see what happens with, uh, with D&D yeah. next, I think. Um... Some other news kinds of things. Uh, I assume – have you guys seen that uh, there's a Jurassic World coming out? Um, the, movie, the movie? Yeah, they, they've um, clarified it and said they're not rebooting. So this is still yes. going to take place within the current uh, um, timeline or whatever that they've been working aren't, on. Aren't half those people dead? Can't, they can't do that. Yeah, well, and this one is—it's actually supposed to take place, I think, twenty years later. Yeah, from from oh, uh, from, okay. from Jurassic right. Park. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, Sam yeah. Neill is way too old to be jumping off any fences nowadays. Uh, that's, that's true. true. We'll see if Jeff Goldblum, you know, <laughs> any of them come back. Jeff Goldblum still surprisingly spry. That's true. He can that's true. Still rattle his way through a sentence. Yeah. Exactly. He was on uh, Law and Order, right? He, he was on Criminal Intent for a while. Uh, he had his own series for a little while. It actually really enjoyed Rain, but it didn't get picked up. Oh, so. I, yeah, I heard, I heard about that. Uh, did you see Star Wars join Instagram? I did. Did you hear that they finished the Millennium Falcon um, set for Star Wars? I heard that from you. 
Oh, that's right. I told you. Already, <laughs> I? Um, so yeah, they finished the Millennium Falcon set. Um, there's still a lot of, of rumors going around to what capacity Harrison Ford will be involved. I mean, because they, they've pretty much been confirmed that they're bringing Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford back, but they don't really know to what capacity they'll be involved in the actual movie. Mm-hmm. And there's just casting rumors all over the place. We, we don't have anything substantial locked in yet and confirmed, but they're, they're, they're looking for just like all sorts of, of roles they're trying to fulfill right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Star Wars joined Instagram. You know what I think their one of their first pictures was? What? Darth Vader selfie. That makes sense. Yep, from the official site, Darth Vader selfie on a smartphone. Yeah. Dead stormtroopers in the background. Um, do we need to talk about Paul Walker? Uh, I I see. I haven't really watched any of the movies, but uh, go for it. Well, um, as people may or may not know, Paul Walker has died. Um, he's being compared to James Dean, and I don't entirely know if that's a fair comparison. One, from what I understand, he was not driving at the time. Um, two, James Dean died fairly young, and Paul Walker was into his 40s and, and had a 16-year-old kid at that point, um, or 15-year-old kid. Um, and from everything I've heard, Paul Walker... A completely nice guy, like one of the f- like few normal people in Hollywood. Not um, really a rebel. No, not at yeah. all. He wasn't anything like that. I mean, he plays in the movies, you know, characters quasi like that. But from what I understand in real life, very normal guy. Did a lot of charity work. Um, did a lot of of work for you know um, other organizations and stuff like that. Wasn't a drinker. Didn't do drugs or anything like that. Just really kind of a the mellow you know down to earth kind of guy. So I, I will completely agree that it's tragic for mm-hmm. um, him going away so early. But I I, I I wouldn't do compare it to James Dean. I think the real tragic thing is for a guy that nice. It's unfortunate that he's not leaving behind a character that's that well-known, right? Because people know him from Fast and the Furious, but gun to your head, could you name his, his character in Fast and the Furious? He's the FBI agent, but I don't know his name. Yeah. The the thing that I always find kind of tragic about these things is that, like, for Heath Ledger, he will always be known as the Joker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, there there's a variety of actors who die who leave behind these iconic roles, and Paul Walker, I just, I'm afraid he's just not going to leave behind that kind of legacy. I mean, it's seven Fast and the Furious movies, and like I said, I think a lot of people would be hard-pressed to remember his character's name. It was Brian, but I don't know why I know that. I've never <laughs> seen one of those movies. How do you... I don't understand. <laughs> Carlos, your mind is a puzzle to me sometimes. It's a puzzle to me, too. I, I'm sure it was on the background, because I'm sure Jim's seen them all. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty tragic. It was sad, I was sad to hear about that. Um other movie things. Apparently, uh, Disney Animation had its biggest opening ever. Uh, yeah, with, with Frozen. With Frozen, yeah. That's oh. weird. Yep. The and movie especially... nobody knows what it's about because right. the commercials are so vague. And right. That and, was and, their biggest opening ever. Biggest opening ever, and there was very little publicity relative, apparently, relative to other Disney movies. Um, How did that happen? I have no idea, but they had, uh, you know, they had, uh, they've had their biggest opening ever, and it's gotten uh, critical review acclaim. Uh, it's like somewhere like eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of surprising oh. for something that was so um, under, you know, advertised. So yeah, uh, so far that that's been interesting. I might actually go see it this uh, this Christmas. 
Well, yeah, with the review like that, I think we'll have to see it also. But we'll, we'll probably have to wait until we're in uh, Australia. Yeah. You'll be able to see The Hobbit probably a week early, won't you? Probably, yes, because a lot of those films actually come out... If, if, a, if a movie company is serious about trying to get the most bang for their buck, um, like Marvel is, uh, they usually release one week early in the international market um, before they're released in the U.S. And, and the reason mm. they do that is it drastically reduces piracy, like by a crazy mm. percentage. Mm-hmm. And and have you seen the most recent pirate stats or piracy stats, Carlos? Which ones are you talking about? Well, they they did a recent um, upstream downstream analysis of, of all internet traffic. Mm-hmm. So, do you know what the number one downstream um, service is? Uh, I would guess something like Netflix, but what what is it? It is Netflix at yeah, at forty percent downstream ratio. Yeah, I, I which would is guess that. fucking crazy. Yeah. So forty percent of what people are using or downloading from from um, the internet is is Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. And it's followed up by other streaming services such as Hulu and Vudu and Amazon and stuff like that, right? Out of all the downstream stuff, I think it was like a one percent ratio or something like that is actually used by piracy nowadays. Um, and and the vast majority of the piracy does not take place here in the United States, right? A shockingly low percentage actually takes place here. The the most piracy comes um, number one from Australia, um, mm. and and it comes from from those international markets because they're like on a backlog of our stuff, right? So a TV show that comes out here may take upwards of six months to come out in Australia. Same with movies and stuff like that, right? And so a lot of what they're pirating is stuff that they just want to see now rather than wait for it to come over to the over to their market. So a lot of the AAA um, movie production companies release internationally first to get you know stopping the piracy stuff, and then a week later will release in um, in the United States. That's why you saw Thor. The week it was released here in the United States, Thor had already made over $100 million in the international market, right? And that's the same thing that they're going to do with Lord – that's the same thing they do with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a that's a pretty common type of thing that you see whenever uh, whenever you have a legitimate method of of getting uh, of getting content at a reasonable price. And of course, people disagree what reasonable is. Uh, instances of copyright infringement go down dramatically, uh, like hugely, hugely amounts. With with iTunes and you know the ninety nine cent songs that that helped reduce. You know, we saw a correlation at least with reducing uh, infringement of music. Huge with Netflix, we see the same thing with television shows. It, that's just that's really common. I mean, are, are are people illegally downloading music? Is that even a concern nowadays? Oh sure, no. I mean, that's still that's still a concern. I mean, it's not. It doesn't make the news anymore. Um, and you know, one of the big reasons it doesn't make the news anymore is because the companies no longer directly sue people uh, individually like they used to, um, because they realized that that was a bad idea. And uh, and so yeah, it still it still happens, but uh, it's. Mm-hmm. I don't get that because there's things like Pandora, which, you know, you can, it's all free. I mean, there's not. Well, a lot of this was taking place back in the Napster days before there was a Pandora. The other problem is, is that even without Pandora, with like Vivo thing on YouTube, Mm -hmm. right? You you know, you you can stream just about anything you want to, right? For free, right? Mm Vivo is a huge thing. I was trying to, to explain this to Beck. Like, I've, I've gotten Beck into the Lonely Island, the, the group of white boy um, rappers uh, from Saturday Night Live who, who do a lot of these um, kind of gimmicky comedic rap stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know if rap is the right word, but anyways, they do a lot of their stuff on YouTube. And I was taking a look at their stats. They have, if you add up the views for all of their music videos, they have over 2 billion views right. on YouTube, right? And then they have 5 million subscribers. Now, the way that the YouTube market works is if you monetize, you'll get like, I think the highest you can get is maybe a penny per view. And that's like premiere stuff, right? You have to be a, a, like have a really well-negotiated rate with YouTube. But if you just get into the market flat, you might get like a fifth of a penny per view or something like that. But at, at that rate, I mean, they're making tens of millions of dollars, right, w- with that stuff. So they're making money off of advertising from, from, from YouTube. How much? You know, it's, it's kind of up in the air, but this stuff is free and it's out there. So there's no reason to... to um, to pirate anymore for a lot of these things. Right. I mean, one of the things, and that's the same, the same reason, oddly enough, is that for a lot of different acts, you don't really need to purchase it anywhere because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good free material out there because so many people, you know, amateurs, professionals can produce stuff cheaply, easily and put it out there for free that you can find things that you don't, you don't necessarily have to go and buy the, the, the big expensive stuff anymore because you can find entertainment, Pretty cheaply. I mean, the same thing in video games, right? You guys are playing the the Might and Magic card game. It's free. You can do that. You don't have to go and buy a Magic decks or whatever to 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 do that because you have these kind of free competitors. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of it has just been the growing pains of the internet and trying to figure out what the commodity looks like on on the web and stuff like that. And then we're still figuring it out. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you had fig- I thought you figured that out last week. Um. Yeah, I'd actually I'd solved the internet last week. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I completed my, it. Yeah. For, for my job, I, I I was told I have to solve the internet, so I, I you, got did you, solved. Did you speak to the elders? I did. They they they. I brought out the black box that is the internet. I was gonna say, did you get the box? I Excellent. got the block box. Yeah. Good. Um. So for those who who are not in on the inside joke, there. Um. God, what's the name of that series? The the IT Crowd. The, the IT, IT crowd. crowd. That's right. Um, on Netflix, it's a great show about nerds by nerds. Uh, and speaking of, did you see that a couple months ago the IT Crowd had their last episode? That makes me sad. They, uh, you know, they've been out for several years, but they got back together to make a final episode uh, uh, and and released it uh, special. And uh, yeah. And those two guys are starting to make careers over here in the states. Oh That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're coming out on a lot of stuff. Just like uh, Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost, you know, they, they started making uh, big careers here also uh, based off of their Cornetto stuff. Heck, one of them was in Thor 2, right? Was he? I, yes. I haven't yes. seen it. Uh, see, we'll have, to, we'll have to say that, yeah. You haven't seen Thor 2 yet? I no. told you we lost our babysitter. <laughs> Man. Yeah, yeah, Chris O'Dowd. Well, you got a new one over here. Yep. Yeah. So now you have to go see it, and we can talk about the the end spoilers of Thor two. Well, I already know what the end spoilers. Are. Oh, you know the after credits. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you saw that uh, JJ, right? Yes. So the uh, the end spoilers. Um, so we'll if you don't want to know what the end spoilers are, we'll we'll pause it here because I find this interesting to talk about. Um, this is why I couldn't stop myself from looking it up. There's two end spoilers. <laughs> Um, so if you don't want to know what they are, pause it now. Um, there's two. One of them is uh, Loki pretending to be Captain America, right? So he kind of yeah. does like you know, oh, this form it fits well, and he's. Uh, it was well, really. That, that wasn't at the end. That was actually kind of in the middle. 
Oh, was that in the middle? Yeah, that wasn't. That was during the movie. Yeah. Oh, was that during that movie? Oh, yeah. okay. I thought that someone told me that was at the end. Uh-uh. Um, I know that there's a collector thing, so you see Benicio yes. del Toro. Yep. And is it the is the the um the tesseract he has, or is it something else? But he's basically saying one down, four to go. And, and it's it's the gem. It's a gem from the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, yeah. Well, the tesseract. The, yeah. Yeah. There, there. I think someone was saying that the tesseract is actually one of the yes, gems. That's correct. And so he they, he gets candid of the collector, and he says, you know, one down, four to go. The implication, of course, being, and, and I think it's pretty much confirmed now that for um, Avengers three, it'll be the uh, Infinity Gauntlet Wars. Well, the other thing I've heard though is that, of course, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie is coming out as well, so uh-huh. that it could it could be coming from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. I, I hear the Guardians of the Galaxy is going to expand on Thanos, but is not going to really get into the Infinity Gauntlet Wars much. They might touch on it a little bit more, but not more than what's already been established. Yeah. Now, what was the other one that I missed then? Well, the the other one was just uh, it's just a a you know Thor returning to what's her name. So there was no big spoiler. Yeah, it was a it was a kiss essentially. Yeah, that was it. Oh. But the, the other thing it's I wanted for to mention, the ladies. The other thing I wanted to mention, yeah, what's her name? I can't even remember that character's name now. Jeez, Natalie Portman. Too, well, I know Natalie Portman, but I cannot remember her character's name. Um, but yeah, so it was him returning to her. Padme. Um, Oh, that doesn't sound nearly as awesome as shawarma. No, no, but the other interesting thing that people are are kind of talking about, so you're in the collector, you know, they they go to see the collector, Benicio del Toro, that was surprising. In the background, there's all kinds of weird things. Did you you see that, JJ? Hmm, I don't remember. So so one of the things, there's this big, like, egg-like thing in a glass jar um, in, in the collector's room, which... Kind right. of looks, which kind of looks like uh, the the egg thing that Adam Warlock is in. Oh, do you think they're going to bring in Adam Warlock? I think they might because, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it it looks an awful lot like like the Adam Warlock egg in that. Uh, I mean, that might be a complete coincidence. That's a hard character to explain. It is, but mm. it, it it really does look like it. If you, if but you, to be fair, Thanos is a hard character to explain. Yeah. So uh, that would be interesting, I think, if that was. And of course, Adam Warlock has another one of the Infinity Gems too. He, he does. Uh, is it? Sp- I thought he had Spirit. I think he, yeah, Spirit or Soul. I forget what it's called, but yeah. Um. And so, okay. So Avengers two, we've had confirmed Ultron, um, and that it's going to be voiced by James Spader. Now I've heard rumors from Kevin Feige that since um, Henry Pym is not going to be in the Avengers, right? Because um, he is the um, creator of Ultron. Um, they're trying to figure out. Someone's like, "Well, how does it get? How does Ultron get created then? If it's not Henry Pym?" And so, and Kevin Feige said, "Well, we already have a Marvel character established. You can create AI." The implication there is that, and someone kind of threw this around, and it, it hasn't been confirmed, but it's it's the best idea so far that the Jarvis AI um, gets uh, uh, twisted into becoming Ultron, mm-hmm. right? Which would be kind of interesting. Because that's already a, I would I would say Jarvis is a well established character within the Marvel universe, right? Yeah. Um, consistently voiced by Paul Bettany, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure, but that that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, and then you and I have already talked about now uh, the Captain America trailer. JJ, have you seen the Captain America trailer? I have, yes. Um, so Carlos and I are both completely sold on how utterly awesome it looks. I wanted to get your impression on it. Yeah, I, I, I've only seen it one. I, I guess I saw it at Thor. Right. And yeah, it looks amazing. Um, just 
Captain America just he's doing all his same stuff again. He just looks yeah, it looks. I, I can't really describe it other than than I because I was so surprised by the first Captain America because I thought it was just going to be cheesy, campy, dumb, 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 dumb. <laughs> but it's not, and it never has been. It, it's just done so well, and and so yeah, I'm looking forward to the next Captain America for sure. And we saw that uh, Avengers two casted Scarlet Witch, Elizabeth Olsen. Now, have you read some of the comments from her? Yes. It's weird. It's I think she's read the comics. Yes, I believe she has, yeah. Because she's talking about how twisted, how like how how much she's enjoying getting into the character because of how twisted and and like mentally unstable she is and she references a lot of things that make me think that she might have read the comics before. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. Not 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 just like because a lot of the actors, to be fair, and I don't expect them to be comic fans, but I think a lot of the actors in preparing for a comic book character maybe just browse the Wikipedia page. Sure. Right. But I think from her impression, um, just like with Hugh Jackman, a lot of the references I've gotten from Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. um, indicate that he read the comics. Now, for Hugh Jackman's case, I think he he started reading them once he got the Wolverine character. But for her, I think she read them before she got the character, because she was like way enthusiastic about playing that character. Yeah, which is great. I mean, like yeah. I said, we said last time, it's really awesome when when actors can kind of do that. Yeah, so. I, I think it adds a lot. I think I think when especially when the director is involved, like heavily involved into comic books and really understands it, mm-hmm. that benefits it more than anything else, right? I think it's also an added benefit of the uh, the actors into it, right? But we saw that with Wolver- the you know X Men Origins Wolverine, where the director outright stated he'd never read a Wolverine comic, but he didn't need to because he understood the Wolverine mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, you, you can't really say that. I can't say that I understand the Odysseus character if I've never read the Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of context there that's missing. And so I I think that's where you get into the most problem, and I think that's why Avengers did so well because. It's Joss Whedon's love letter to to comic books. So mm-hmm. I think that benefits everyone. So I'm going to have to go now. But before I go, there was one more Kickstarter I was going to mention because I just got an email about it. Uh, seven days to go. It's called Cthulhu the Writing Dark. It is, a, uh, it is playing cards and tarot cards apparently, and it looks pretty neat. Uh, it's, it's just playing, playing card type stuff uh, by bicycle. Uh, it looks fun. Have you ever played the Cthulhu RPG? Uh, which one? There are several versions of it. But I have played. I played. Uh, I played several different versions of a Cthulhu RPG. Okay, I just I've been wanting to play a Cthulhu RPG, but I haven't found like any specific one that really you know because they all look too complicated for a Cthulhu game. And they're I, yeah, they're kind of they're kind of complicated, um, but they are interesting. They yeah. they came out with a D twenty version. The, the the official people at one point too. Okay, I think I just need to do a little bit more research into it. So, yeah, uh, like, uh, and they they had uh, they have one called Horror on the Orient Express that is supposed to be really good by Chaosium, the people who do the, the most of the Cthulhu RPGs, uh, which looks pretty cool. And the one th- one last thing before you leave, Thirteenth um, Age is that worth the the price to buy? I actually don't know how much it is, but yes. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good. If you want, if you like to see it, I'll bring over my copy. Yes, please do because I, I, I want to. I want to take a look at it because it, it interests me, but I don't know if it interests me. Yes. I think it's like forty bucks for the book, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's it is worth it's definitely worth checking out. I'll, I'll lend you the book. It is an interesting mix of uh, of third edition and fourth edition, uh, which you know made by the designers, so that's not surprising. Yeah, and it uh, it also tries to use the rules to encourage storytelling, which is also they they go about doing that in an interesting kind of way, which uh, we could talk about at another time. I can actually talk about it and give a review this time since I've actually read through it. That would be nice. All right, so next time we'll talk about Thirteenth Age, among other things. Sounds good. I think that'll do it for the rest of the show, unless anyone else has any final uh, parting comments. Not here. I'm good. Thank you all very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, We are COTV1. And you can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. And of course, please feel free to email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. Thank you all very much. 